The Price of Failure by D. G. Laderoot. Read by Jeannie Calvar. Mist had filled much of the Kintani Valley, blazing gold under the first rays of Lady Sun. Doji Kuanan shaded his eyes and looked at Kiyoti Castle, rising like a rocky island from a sea of radiant gold. He couldn't see the army encamped around it, submerged as it was in the glowing fog. But he knew it was there. Much of the crane force that had, until recently, wrestled with the lion for control of Toshirambo and the nearby Osari plains. He needed that army, if he was going to successfully challenge his sister for championship of the clan. First, though, he must convince the man waiting for him in his tent, a few paces away. He looked at the two pieces of paper in his hand. When the Mia courier had delivered them on behalf of Kikita Yoshi back in Odasanuchi, he'd hoped they might contain something that would sway Daidoji Uji. Instead, their stunning contents just made everything far more complicated. Kuanan entered his tent. Uji was kneeling, contemplating a map spread across a tatami mat. It portrayed the region of Toshirambo as far south as the imperial capital. He bowed as Kuanan entered. Kuanan returned it, then knelt across the map from the Daidoji Daimyo. Without preamble, Kuanan pointed at another place on the map. Kuden Kikita, ancestral home of the Crane clan's Kikita family. It is here, Uji-san, that you should be directing your attention. May I ask why, Doji-sama? Kuanan placed one of the two pages he had received from the Mia courier on the map. Its flowing script was rendered in crimson ink, signaling its dire importance. I have just received this from Kikita Yoshi in Odasanuchi. The Lion Clan have seized Kikita Castle. Kikita Yoshi's wife is now a hostage. Uji's dark eyes flicked up from the map. That is calamitous news. Why would they do this? Kuanan remembered his recent confrontation with Suko when a band of ronin had brought him to her as a prisoner. If Suko believed Tatori was inadequate, he had no difficulty imagining the formidable woman taking charge of her clan. Part of it is, no doubt, Matsusuko seeking vengeance for her betrothed, Arasu. However, I suspect Suko also seeks the championship of her clan, taking it from Tatori. It would certainly be a way of ensuring her generals were united behind her. Uji's knuckles whitened. Suko takes one of our most important holdings to serve lion internal politics without a proper declaration of war. That is... He paused. The word insulting is insufficient. Indeed, Kuanan said but considered how to craft his next words. Wasn't he seeking to do much what Suko had just done? 
take the clan's championship from the one currently holding it because they were unsuited for it, because they were unworthy? What of Akoda Tatori? Uji asked, breaking the lingering silence. Is he aware of this? Uji hesitated. Kwanan imagined he meant to say treachery, but that risked attaching the same word to Kwanan's own moves against his sister, didn't it? Uji finally settled on. Development? I do not know. Yoshisama has said nothing about the Emerald Champion. Uji's eyes lifted and stayed fixed on Kuanan. But he has said something else of importance. Kuanan avoided a frown. Uji was right. The capture of Kikita Castle wasn't the only problematic news in Yoshi's letter by far. Am I so transparent? Or is Uji so canny? Either way, it struck Kuanan that, if he did need to deceive Uji... He must be very careful how he went about it. Yoshisama also reports that the late emperor issued an edict prior to his death, naming his younger son, Prince Daisetsu, as his heir. It also names Bayushi Shoju as regent, until Daisetsu comes of age. The tent fluttered, billowing with a sudden breeze. The fog will soon be gone, Kuanan thought. Finally, Uji said, that is a remarkable edict. Clearly, the news has not yet propagated far from the imperial capital. No, Agasha Sumiko only recently presented it to the imperial court, then handed the proceedings over to Shoju as the new regent. Yoshisama says that the handwriting has been confirmed as the Emerald Champions, and the signature is that of the late Hante. But you nonetheless have doubts as to its authenticity. Do you not? Is it not convenient that Shoju presents such a missive immediately after the Emperor's death? Kuanan scowled at the icon representing Odasan Uchi on the map. It has a feeling of... assertion, And that is something I certainly would not put past Bayushi Shoju and that scheming wife of his. Shoju's wife... Bayushi Kachiko, just the thought of her made Kuanan's knuckles whiten, much as Uji's had. Bad enough that his sister, Hotaru, dared to dishonor their father in favor of a clandestine relationship with that woman, but this dredged up an even more egregious possibility. If the Scorpion really did seek to seize power, could Hotaru somehow be part of the plot? And what of the Emperor's elder son, Satori? Uji asked. I find it difficult to believe that he would simply accede to all of this. Kuanam placed the second document he had received from the Mia courier onto the map. A timely question. This is from Sarai, daimyo of the esteemed Otomo family. He writes that Hante Soteri is being taken to the monastery among the winds by an honor guard of Sapun. He also provides the details of the journey. To what end? It is rumored that the Otomo have grown to bitterly resent Scorpion influence in imperial politics. I suspect this is Sarai-sama's way of achieving some measure of retribution. Uji gave Kuanan a keen look. Only if someone were to act in some fashion 
on this information. Indeed. Clearly, Sarai believes that something is amiss regarding this supposed edict. Kuanan's thoughts raced on from there. Satori would almost certainly be more than willing to contest it. To do that, however, he would need to be freed from his impending confinement in the monastery among the winds, because that is what this was, confinement. Shoju wanted Sotori out of the way, but his death, so soon after that of the emperor and the revelation of the edict, would be far too suspicious. Any violence against the monastery itself was an unthinkable blasphemy. Yet Sarai had provided the precise routes and timings Sotori and his honor guard would take to get to the monastery. That route would pass very close to Kudenkikita, which had just been taken by the lion. Kowanin's attentions shifted across the map from their present location Akuden Kyoti to Kyuden Kikita, then from Odasan Uchi to the road that would lead to the monastery among the winds, then back to Kyuden Kyoti. Kuanan nodded as a plan began to coalesce. It was a profoundly risky one, but turbulent times, such as these, often meant embracing such risks. Doji sama, he said, looking back up at the Daidoji Daimyo. I have a suggestion. Five days later, Kwanan narrowed his eyes at a gray-brown smudge against the sky. Lady Sun's gaze fell heavy and unrelenting on the earth, desiccating all roads to dust so that even a single traveler raised a gritty cloud marking their passage. This dust cloud was, however much more substantial. A group of a dozen or more traveled along the road traversing these lion lands, near to the copse of poplars and birch where Kuanan now stood. They might be Soturi and his honor guard, or it might be a merchant caravan, or even a contingent of lion troops. Until the scouts gave confirmation, Kuanan and his army would stay where they were, concealed. He sniffed at that. His army. If two dozen Bushi, all Kakita, plus a trio of Ronin scouts could be considered an army, then yes, this was his army. It was all Yoshi had been immediately able to offer him, though. There were to have been many more. But thanks to the lion and their seizure of Kudin Kakita, that had understandably become the priority for the Kakita family. Kuanan looked back into the copse where his army now sheltered. That was something, at least. Such a small force was agile and easy to hide. To anyone, particularly anyone from the Lion Clan watching the march of Uji's army to Kudin Kikita, Kuanan's small contingent would have seemed just another scouting party roving ahead of the main body of troops. It had been easy enough to break away and vanish into the rolling hills and scattered woods of the Lion Lands, south of the Kitsu tombs, then take up a place of waiting close to the route that Otomo Sarai said would be used by Hante Satori's honor guard. Kuanan shifted inside his armor, frowning at the sticky dampness of his own sweat. He glanced into the east, where Kyuden Kikita and the battle Daidoji Uji would soon fight there. He had every confidence that Uji, a skilled tactician, 
would win the day. He further doubted Matsusuko would really put much effort into holding the place, having achieved what she set out to do by attacking it in the first place. What Kowanan didn't know was where Uji's loyalties lay in the aftermath. He had clearly been stunned at Kowanan's revelation about the shocking letter from Hataru to Bayushi Kachiko he'd found hidden among the personal effects of Doji Satsume. When Kowanan had then told Uji he intended to challenge his sister for championship of the crane, the Daidoji Daimyo hadn't immediately declared him a traitor and taken him into custody, and now he marched to retake Kyuden Kakita at Kawanan's suggestion. Still, he hadn't unequivocally thrown his lot in with Kawanan. Now Kawanan's gaze into the east had become a frown. He deliberately avoided outright asking Uji for a declaration of loyalty. The man was the sort who, if pushed to a decision, would likely choose the contrary one. Still, Daidoji Uji would have to decide who to support, and soon, because... Lord Kuanan, a nearby Bushi said. A rider approaches. Kuanan turned and saw a horseman galloping through the high grass toward them. It was one of the Ronin scouts. A short distance away, he reined in his horse and waved a piece of red silk. Then he wheeled his mount around and raced back toward the road. It is them, Kuanan called out, starting for the edge of the copse away from the road where the horses were tied. Prince Sotiri and his honor guard approach. Kuanan and his army rode from behind the copse and aimed themselves at a point just ahead of the dust cloud. It took them only moments to cover the distance. They reined in their horses behind a small rise paralleling the road and dismounted, leaving two of the Kakita to hold their mounts while the rest climbed the rise, crouching as they reached the crest line. There, less than a bow shot to the east, rode a column of armored Sapoon warriors. And there, among them, a pair of unarmored figures. One would be Soteri, the other probably an attendant. Kuanan drew his katana. The rest of the Kakita readied their own weapons. Kuanan swept his gaze across them, saying, Remember, the prince is not to be harmed. He said nothing about the Sapoon guardsmen. It was unnecessary. They would die in the imminent battle, or would commit seppuku afterward. Such was the price of failure. Silence. Then a distant clop of hooves. A cicada suddenly buzzed nearby. Kuanan's grip tightened on his katana. The clatter of hooves grew louder. Kuanan raised his hand and swept it forward. As he did, he stood, charged over the crestline and plunged down a short, sandy embankment, crashing into the flank of the Sapoon column. A Sapoon guardsman loomed over him. Kuanan struck, slicing upward, his blade finding a gap between armored plates and biting deep into flesh. The Sapoon cried out, struck back a flailing blow with a yari broad-bladed spear. Kuanan dodged aside, grabbed the yari, and yanked the man from his saddle, striking again when he slammed into the ground. A killing blow. Kuanan turned. Shouts, shrieking horses, billowing dust. The Sapoon had been surprised, but they recovered quickly. One galloped past. Yari leveled. Kuanan ducked, the spearhead whistling past his ear. Another Sapoon dismounted, katana drawn. Kuanan slashed at him. The Sapoon slashed back, then kicked at Kuanan's knee. He leapt aside, struck, side-handed. 
the sapoon dodged. Kawanan closed in, delivered his own kick to the man's thigh. He staggered, briefly unbalanced. Kawanan opened his throat with a flick of his blade. Dust fogged the air. Kawanan's breath rasped his throat. Sweat stung his eyes. More shouts. A scream, abruptly cut off. A riderless horse thundered by. A Kikitabushi stumbled past, his face grimed with blood and dust. Kawanan shoved past him, struck at another sapoon's leg, hamstringing him. He fell, and Kawanan kicked the man's helmet forward, exposing the back of his neck. Kawanan slashed it, truncating the sapoon's spine. The man slumped like a dropped sack. Kawanan paused. He gasped for air, spitting gritty saliva and wiping at greasy sweat. He looked around, katana ready. He could see four paces, maybe. Then the world vanished into swirling tan and vague silhouettes. The racket of battle diminished. He saw a kakitabushi slathered in grime and sweat, spattered with blood, and nodded at the man. The kakita nodded back. Another kakita appeared out of the dust, seeking an opponent. Kawanan turned, sucked in a breath that tasted like hot dirt. "'Your Highness!' a shout. But it wasn't an answer. Somewhere, lost in the dust. Someone still fought. "'Prince Soteri!' "'Here! I'm here!' Kuanan rushed toward the voice. A figure still on horseback loomed over him. "'Your Highness, are you injured?' "'I! No! Who are you?' "'Doji Kuanan, Your Highness. We have come to help you to rightfully claim your throne.' Sotri gaped down at Kuanan, opened his mouth. A shout. A warning. Kuanan spun around, swept his katana sideways, deflecting a blow. Not all of the sapoon were dispatched. No, this was not a sapoon. Her man was a coiled dragon. Dragon clan? What? The woman, Amiramoto, struck at Kuanan again. He took the blow on his armor biting a chunk from the lacquered leather. Grabbing the woman's arm, he pulled, yanking her off balance, then swept his katana past her face. She staggered back. Kwanan jammed a foot behind her leg, tripping her. She fell, hitting the road with a heavy thud. Kwanan slammed his heel down on her throat, leaving her gasping in the dirt, her face purpling. Dragon Clan, Miramoto, here! How? He had seen no second dust cloud. The dragon must have followed Satori's party through the fields alongside the road. A harder journey. But why were they here at all? Kuanan spun back toward Sotori, but another figure blocked his way. Katana in one hand, Wakazashi in the other. It was Niten, the paired-blade fighting style of the Miramoto. Once again, Kuanan raised his katana. The muscles of his arm protested, burning with the effort. His lungs felt stuffed full of dust. The figure lunged, striking from both left and right. Kuanan dodged the katana and deflected the wakasashi with the armor of his left forearm. The blade scraped across the blue lacquered leather. He struck back, getting his own katana inside the opponent's, but it struck her breastplate and ineffectually bounced back. For a heartbeat, Kuanan looked squarely into his opponent's face. He knew her. She'd been part of a dragon delegation to Kyudan Doji, Two years ago, maybe three. A striking, formidable woman. Unforgettable. Miramoto Hitomi. Kuanan likewise saw recognition in Hitomi's face. Then surprise, that probably mirrored his own. She looked like she might speak. 
Huan and seized the moment to strike again. Itomi backpedaled, then counterattacked. Fortune she was fast and fresh, while Kuanan flagged, dust and heat and exertion dragging at him. Hitomi's twin blades wove a flickering net of steel, forcing Kuanan to dodge, sidestep, dodge and sidestep again. He desperately tried to find an opening, slashing, kicking, and punching, but Hitomi's blades were everywhere at once, a razor-edged blur. Now Kuanan's heart pounded, blood thundering in his ears like a temple gong. He couldn't get enough air. No matter how hard he tried, he just couldn't find enough air. An opening. He redirected his blade, striking through it. His katana opened a shallow cut on her arm. Pain blasted through his side as hers cut deep. She had baited him, taking a minor injury to inflict one that might be grievous. The world had become dust and pain, nothing else. Ayari struck past Kuanan, driving Hitomi back. Someone grabbed him, pulled him back and away. He stumbled, but strong arms held him, pushed and urged him along. The dust thinned. A horse. The Kakitabushi supporting Kuanan shoved him astride it, shouting, something. He didn't understand, but it didn't matter. He got the horse moving. The clamor of battle faded behind him, lost in the rush of wind, the pound of hooves. Grimly, Kuanan hung on to the horse. Other riders surrounded him. They were few. His army, or what remained of it. New pain blossomed with each hoofbeat. Kuanan gritted his teeth and fought to remain conscious. The dragon must have been following Soteri. Why? Because the dragon supported the scorpion? So why had Otomo Sarai said nothing about it? Because he didn't know? Or was it a betrayal? It didn't matter now. What did was failure. Because failure had its price. It always did. Miramoto Hitomi stood atop the embankment, watching Kuanan and the surviving crane gallop away. She considered giving chase. But these were lion lands, so let the lion hunt them down. She would stay on the imperial road, having done what Shoju had asked of her, ensuring Prince Soteri reached the monastery among the winds. That the crane champion's younger brother had tried to prevent that had profound implications. But that could wait as well. Right now, she needed to ensure Prince Soteri was unharmed. Wincing at her injured arm, Itomi turned back to the scene of battle. The choking dust was clearing, revealing horses milling about. Dead and wounded sapoon, crane, and dragon sprawled in the road or the dry grass along it. She looked for Soteri, frowned. She didn't see him. A Miramoto Bushi climbed the embankment and bowed. We have secured the area, Miramoto-sama. Where is Prince Sutari? The man shook his head. I do not know. His horse was here, as is his retainer. But the prince himself is nowhere to be found. Hitomi shaded her eyes and scanned the surrounding landscape. To the horizon in every direction, she saw rolling, grassy fields, scattered copses of trees and scrubby clumps of bush, innumerable hummocks and hollows. She puffed out a sigh. Sotri must have fled, and now, 
with dozens, perhaps hundreds of places to hide. They might never find him. <laughs>